From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. Focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Radio Hour. This is indeed the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I want to share with you, uh, Bishop Soto has recently returned from Lourdes, and you can read all of his dispatches. There were five in all on the diocesan website, scd.org. But I want to share share one with you now. Um, they're just they're just spectacular. They are, they're it's yeah, they're inspirational, but they're also just a lot of fun to read because uh, the bishop will uh, kind of describe a, almost a daily routine, what he's up to that day, what the the, the people he traveled with are are doing. Uh, he accompanied the uh, Knights of Malta and and a number of people that the Knights of Malta invited along, people with various in, infirmity, infirmities and um, to Lourdes, and just a it, it's just a wonderful wonderful recollection. So this is the uh, the second dispatch from uh, Bishop Soto, which he filed on May the sixth. The pilgrimage to Lourdes with the Order of Malta is a multi-day extended ritual. The Malads, as that's what they, they call the people that have accompanied them with, with their infirmities. The Malads and their companions spend seven days in Lourdes making a spiritual journey that brings them to the various religious sites located in a lush park-like area called the Domain. Aside from one bookstore and small religious articles kiosk, the Domain is undisturbed by any distracting commerce and is solely dedicated to providing a quiet haven for experiencing the miracle of Lourdes. Bishop Soto goes on to say, the Malads, living, the Malads, those living with grave health conditions and their caregivers, are encouraged to see beyond the popular reputation of Lourdes as a site of miraculous healings and learn to walk in the steps of St. Bernadette Soberus, the young, sickly, innocent girl to whom the Blessed Mother Mary appeared in a small rocky grotto on February 11, 1858. That's a uh, Forty-five years ago, this journey of faith and devotion, inspired by the humble, simple faith of a village girl, leads the Malads, caregivers, and all pilgrims into the deep currents of divine mercy that flow through the healing message of Lourdes. The gifting of rosaries, a ceremony of the washing of the feet, rites of confession, and the anointing of the sick, and the offering of the sacrifice of the mass provide occasions of divine wisdom and grace. These, then, allow for a broader spiritual horizon with which to appreciate the evangelical significance of visiting the grotto, listening to the gurgling melody of the miraculous fountain, and then entering into the baths of Lourdes. (coughs) Excuse me. Visiting the baths has undergone a renewal in order to better link the life of the Malads with the experience of the adolescent Bernadette. The Malads no longer submerge themselves into a small bath of Lourdes water, They and their companions are invited to wash their hands, their faces, and drink Lourdes water poured into their hands from a pitcher held by an attendant. The new ritual imitates the same gestures performed by Bernadette following the instructions given to her by the Blessed Mother during one of the early visits to the grotto. The new manner of approaching the traditional Lourdes baths was introduced following the global COVID-19 pandemic. Whether the old practice of immersion will return was not discussed. The revised ritual unites the Malads and other pilgrims with a cathartic, transformative moment in the life of St. Bernadette. In this way, her story becomes more personal for those who come to the same site where Mary's sweet smile invited a young girl to pray with her. That so many pilgrims from around the world continue coming to Lourdes to pray with Mary and implore her intercession with her son Jesus must bring the same delightful smile as she gazes upon us with tenderness. These are the words of uh, Bishop Soto, and that was his his second dispatch from Lourdes. And I know everybody's saying, "Oh, come on, come on, read us one more." Well, we will we will give you. Uh, we will give you one more right now. Uh, the third dispatch from Bishop Soto, dated May the 8th. He says, I have traveled to Lourdes with the Order of Malta and Malads, pilgrims with serious health conditions, at least three times, maybe four. When I first accepted the invitation some years ago, 
I presumed it would be a one-and-done visit. My repeated returns to the grotto along the river gave indicate how, how wrong that first presumption was. The opportunity to accompany men and women who are sick, frail, and seeking God's healing has been an ever-unfolding epiphany of God's unfathomable wisdom and mercy, calling me to repentance and conversion. These are the words of Bishop Soto uh, 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 on his trip to Lourdes. The stories of miraculous healings associated with the waters of Lourdes since the beginning can be a distraction from the much greater spiritual fruits unless one sees the sacramental nature of any healing. Like the translucent nature of water itself, we must see through the healing to find the merciful hand of God lifting us to himself. With this understanding, Lourdes offers more than physical healings. The Virgin Mary brings us to a saving encounter with her son Jesus. He who knows our heart and desires our salvation cares for us in many ways, not always in the manner or the fashion we expect. These again are the words of Bishop Soto from Lourdes. The healing we want is not always the healing we need. While we hope for God's grace, we must learn to trust the divine wisdom of that grace to choose the time and manner of its revelation. These few reflections bring me to an interesting meeting during the visit to Lourdes. All the pilgrims were invited to a presentation by Dr. Alessandro de Francisis, who currently holds a curious job. He is the president of the Bureau des Constitutions Medicales, I'll, uh, I think I butchered the French there, for the Shrine of Our Lady of Lourdes. Roughly translated, he directs the Shrine Office for Medical Findings. His principal task is to medically examine all claims of miraculous healings that are credited to Lourdes. For two hours, he kept the group wrapped in attention with stories, humor, exuberance of faith, and a disarming Italian charm. Dr. Sandro, a thorough presentation on the protocols and criteria used to determine a miraculous cure. I will not attempt to delineate all the steps. I confess that parts of the pres his presentation tested my low tolerance for graphic medical details. At certain points, I squirmed in my chair as the letters TMI flashed through my mind. Too much information. <laughs> the two main points that stayed with me were, one, his job as a doctor was to determine how a person was cured or make the opposite determination that there is no explanation for the, for the cure. Dr. Sandro was clear and humble about the limitations of his job. He applies the light of scientific collegial examination on any claim of, a, of miraculous healing. Could science explain the cure or was the cure unexplainable? If a collegial group of medical doctors, after reviewing all the facts surrounding an alleged cure, conclude that it is scientifically unexplainable, then the case will go to the Bishop of Tarbes at Lourdes for him to consider the next question, is it a miracle? This is fascinating. I've always wondered how this was, this was all done. And we've heard many times that people say, well, it's not the physical healing, it's the spiritual healing that uh, is so important. And, and, and indeed it is. Dr. Sandro was emphatic, concluding that a healing was a miracle was not his job. Discerning a miracle is a task of faith, not science. Reason and science can serve faith, but only faith can discern the hand of God moving in the world. In history, as well as the inner recesses of our body and soul, the doctor, uh, excuse me, um, reason and science can serve faith, but only faith can discern the hand of God moving in the world, in history, as well as the inner recesses of our body and soul. In this vein of thought, the doctor quoted Thomas Aquinas, for those with faith, no evidence is necessary. For those without it, no evidence will suffice. How true that is. Many times we face that in our own lives. Bishop Soda goes on to say, during his presentation, Dr. Sandro spent a portion of time considering the miracles of the scriptures. Many people came to Jesus because he healed the sick. They knew nothing else about him. What made these healings miracles was because they revealed who Jesus was to those witnessing the event. Consider the healing of the ten lepers in the Gospel of Luke. Ten were cured. Only one returned to give praise and thanksgiving to Jesus. That one person, a Samaritan, saw the miracle because he recognized Jesus. Upon his return to Jesus, the Lord told him, Stand up and go. Your faith has saved you. This is the difference. That's in Luke. This is the difference between a healing and a miracle.
I have often quoted the insight of the late Pope Benedict in his first encyclical, Deus Caritas Est. Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon and a decisive direction. These words help us understand the difference between the inexplicable, incomprehensible in life and a miracle. In the miracle, we meet Jesus, the divine word incarnate. He revealed himself to his disciples, to the sick, and to the poor. Again, these are the words of uh, Bishop Soto from Lourdes. Jesus is the revelation for whom the miracle is the sign, the translucent instrument that points us beyond the healing to the healer. Mary, the mother of the church, always leads us to her son. The true wonder of Lourdes, or any Marian sight, are the signs and wonders that lead hearts and minds to know Christ Jesus. In the story of St. Bernadette, she was a simple young girl, afflicted her whole life with poor health. She eventually died of tuberculosis at the young age of 35 in a convent of Nevers, France. As recipient of the apparition, she never received a cure for her physical ailments. The holiness of her life was the more essential cure. Following her example, may this be, these are the words of Bishop Soto, following her, following her example, May this be our own Christian aspiration. Those are, that's the third dispatch from Lourdes in France. Uh, Bishop, Bishop Soda has returned from France. You can read all the dispatches. There are five in all on the diocesan website, scd.org. And they're, they're all fascinating, and they're, they're obviously uh, all um, very, very, very different uh, as, as well. So uh, a lot happening in our, uh, in our diocese. Uh, uh, the pre-seminarian basketball game is, uh, is coming up. This is always a, uh, a uh, real delight. It's uh, Tuesday, June the 20th at Christian Brothers High School, 4315 Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard right here in Sacramento. It's $15 for adults, $60 for a group of six adults, or $5 for students from kindergarten all the way through college. All proceeds from the game benefit seminarian formation. Uh, the, the doors open at 6, the game starts at 7. It's a lot of fun. It's a real basketball game. They have keep score, and they have officials, and uh, they call fouls and uh, traveling and everything else, <laughs> and it's, a, it's really a lot of fun. It's usually packed. There is a snack bar there. You can get tr- traditional snack bar food and bring the kids and uh, have dinner there as well. Um, should be just a, a you don't have to, you can buy tickets in advance. You can uh, contact the Office of Priestly and Religious Vocations at 916-733-0258 or contact Maricela Smith at msmith at scd.org. That's M as in Maricela. M. Smith at scd.org. Again, Tuesday, June 20th, Christian Brothers High School Gym. Uh, doors open at 6, tip off at 7 o'clock. And it's, uh, it's really, really um, a great, great uh, amount, of, uh, amount of fun. So if you can make it, I will be there. Uh, my kids always like to come with me. Um, some of them are scattered off in college now, but hopefully they'll be back home for the summer. And uh, uh, we, will <laughs> we will have a, a, a presence there as well. And I, 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 really, I really, really enjoy I enjoy that game as much as a Kings game. Seriously, it's really, really uh, a lot of fun. We'll take a quick break here. We'll be back with more on the Bishop's Hour right after this. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the St. Vincent de Paul Society. Drop by and shop at the thrift store, a beautiful, beautiful thrift store at 2275 Watt Avenue. Open Mondays through Saturdays from 10 to 8 and Sundays from 11 to 6. They also accept donations at the store, donations of furniture, appliances, clothing, books, everyday household items. Your donations help to fund the many projects of the St. Vincent de Paul Society throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Do such wonderful, wonderful work, and the thrift store is uh, one of the the ways they uh, raise the funds to help people throughout the diocese, and also uh, uh, many of their clients are able to access the uh, thrift store for uh, items that they need. You can uh, give them a call. They will come pick it up as well, but you can uh, give them a call. They're at 916 916- 
972-1212. And remember, again, the thrift store is open uh, seven days a week at 2275 Watt Avenue right here in Sacramento. Well, Bishop Soto refers to Christ the King Retreat Center as the jewel of the diocese, and indeed it is. What a beautiful oasis it is. It's located in Citrus Heights, uh, right in the hustle and bustle of the city, and you feel like you're getting away from it all when you uh, turn off the main road and just uh, uh, come into Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center. Christ the King has served Northern California and the Diocese of Sacramento for over 60 years through parish weekend retreats, individual spiritual direction, and a variety of other programs. For information on all the programs that they offer, including residential programs, give them a call. They're at 916-725-4720, or you can visit them at 6520 Van Maren Lane in Citrus Heights. And we certainly thank uh, the St. Vincent de Paul Society and Christ the King Passionist Retreat Center for their fine and long-standing support of the Bishop's Hour. This portion of the Bishop's Hour is brought to you by a grant from the Mercy Foundation, enriching lives in the Sacramento region through Sisters of Mercy Ministries in health care, education, housing, and the care for the poor and elderly. For the Mercy Foundation, philanthropy is one of the most powerful expressions of compassion and love. Just as many people in our community need a hand, countless others are reaching out to them with comfort and hope. You can express your care and concern for the less fortunate with a gift to the Mercy Foundation. Uh, you can give them a call, 916-851-2700. That's 916-851-2700. And you can be confident that fully 100% of your contribution will support the Sisters of, ministry, of Mi Mercy Ministry or ministries that you choose. And what a wonderful treasure Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts has been for all of us here in the diocese as they uh, uh, transition uh, into uh, uh, new ownership and management. Uh, they continue to offer wonderful workshops, wonderful uh, uh, resources for the Catholic community throughout the Diocese of Sacramento. Not only does Easter's provide a wide array of Catholic books, both current releases and longtime classics, but they also sponsor a number of valuable workshops and lectures throughout the year. They're, they're located at 6916 Sunrise Boulevard in Citrus Heights. Give them a call, 916-338-7272. We also receive a generous underwriting support by Crumley & Associates, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. If you have questions about retirement, Crumley & Associates can help you with their confident retirement approach that can help define a clear roadmap to get you where you want to go. You can uh, contact them, get all the details at Crumley & Associates, 7956 California Avenue in Fair Oaks. They're at 916-638-4600. That's 916-638-4600. And we uh, are, are certainly uh, appreciative of the uh, fine and uh, longstanding support of the Mercy Foundation, of Easter's Catholic Books and Gifts, and of Crumley and Associates. We'd like to thank all the wonderful people and organizations, uh, businesses in town uh, and throughout the Diocese of Sacramento who have provided underwriting for the Bishop's Hour. Uh, some in the last few years, some uh, have been with us for a very long time. If you would like to be an underwriter for the Bishop's Radio Hour, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to, to support this mission and also to support the diocese and also uh, to get some uh, recognition for uh, your organization or for your business. The easiest way to do this is to uh, give us a shout, send us an email, radio at scd.org, and we can give you all the details about uh, helping to underwrite the Bishop's Radio Hour. Again, that's radio at scd.org. Hi, this is Katie Prada, Executive Director of Catholic Schools for the Diocese of Sacramento, and you are listening to the Bishop's Hour with Bob Dunning. Thank you, Katie, for that wonderful introduction, and thanks for all the great things you do for our great Catholic schools here in the Diocese of Sacramento. Well, we have a a uh, ordination coming up on Saturday, the 3rd of June. Deacon Eric Patrick will be 
ordained to the priesthood of the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament at 10 a.m. And what a big day it is. What a big day for him, for his family, for his friends, and for the Catholic Church and the Diocese of Sacramento. We were able to uh, talk with Eric uh, recently, and we're going to bring you that interview now. Speaking of deacons, we are pleased and honored to welcome in Deacon Eric Patrick, uh, one of our seminaries. Deacon, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Doing very, very good. I'm sitting here looking at your picture, looking at a story about you, and 10 a.m., the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament in Sacramento, June the 3rd. Guess what's happening? Yeah, my ordination. Yes. I mean, I... Did you think you'd ever hear those words? <laughs> that uh, that it was, there was some time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's f- just fantastic. Yes. Uh, uh, d- describe your feelings if you can. Um, well, so I just finished, um, just graduated. Um, <clears throat> so coming off of that, Exhausted, but really hopeful and uh, looking forward to this ordination. Um, it's still, I think, sinking in. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, is it really happening? Uh, yeah, so I'm excited, um, but I think it's it's still a little bit down there. Uh, um, wow. Hasn't fully sunk in yet. <laughs> so. Are you going to be known as Father Eric or Father Patrick? or? Uh, I'm guessing Father Patrick since we already have four Father Eric's in the diocese. We do, yes, indeed, indeed. You say you're just graduated. Explain what you mean. Yeah, so I just, um, last week we finished, um, I finished at St. Patrick's Seminary, mm-hmm. um, graduated with um, my MDiv and SDB and... Um, I need to finish up a MA thesis paper to um, receive my MA. Um, but yeah, after uh, seven years in formation, uh, year of uh, pre theology, philosophy, that is, and <clears throat> four years of theology and a couple of pastoral years, um, now I'm all done with um, formation in the seminary. Wow. That's a lot of years. Yes. You are. Not the most, though. Yeah, yeah, I, you I, haven't reached I, retirement I age, have you? I've been in forma- with information for 14 years, 15 years. Like, wow. Wow. Um, so, yeah. A so, lot, but not the most. Wow. So, t- so take us back. T- tell us about your, your, your upbringing, where you grew up, and, and, and that, and your first kind of introduction to the faith. Yeah, so I'm, I was raised Quail Catholic. Um, to, I, uh, I'd say we were kind of pew Catholics. Um, we go to Mass on Sunday and confession mm-hmm. a couple times a year, um, say grace, but not not a ton more. I mean, we working parents. Were you in the Sacramento area? Um, so I was raised outside of Redding, California. Oh, okay. In a small town, uh, Whitmore. Um, Whitmore, that's a, is, that's a real small town. Yeah, that's why I always say I, I always say outside already because yes. most people don't know it. Um, so yeah, it, it, we grew up twenty acres out in the country, and mm-hmm. so there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to do more than really go to mass. Did um, you have a mission church in Whitmore? There's a mission church in Shingletown. Oh, in Shingletown. The, okay. The road to it is a single lane cow pasture road, yeah. and so <laughs> rather than hazard that road regularly, we went to Our Lady of Mercy. In in Reading? Yes. Yeah. So Reading was the big city? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of the uh, anchor of the North State, I guess. Yeah. You have people come there to do shopping and stuff all the way from yeah. the tourists sometimes. Oh, oh, they do from, from uh, yeah. yeah, from Ashland and Medford and every place else because, yeah, yeah it, uh, wow. That's that's amazing. So, uh, so then 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 what happened? You 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 caught yeah, fire, so, obviously. Yeah. <clears throat> so I was homeschooled up until um, I went to college, um, and 
while I was um, learning how to drive, and so I had had to um, meet a certain number of required hours, and one of them was night driving. Um, my mom was uh, let me drive to the um, youth group, and um, so I started actually encountering other uh, Catholics my age mm-hmm. um, that were excited about the faith. And around that time, I was also going through this kind of conversion. It's like, well, why Catholicism? This is something I've been raised in, but I need to go past that and start making it my own. Mm-hmm. And so I spent several years um, leading up to that, trying to understand the faith and also taking an honest look at is, it, is the Catholic faith the faith that I really believe um, mm-hmm and not just accept what I've been given, um, right. but really make it my own. I think a lot um, a lot of us who are cradle Catholics kind of go through that experience. Yeah, and I think we, we, we have to, because when it's always just somebody telling you this is, this is it, you don't take any ownership of that. Right. You, you right. don't go deeper into it, and so that's why we have to go undergo that point where it's like, okay, Take an honest evaluation, and either the minimum is enough, or we need to go further. Mm-hmm. And and so that was what kind of started my vocation journey. So where'd you go to um, college? I went to Thomas Aquinas College. In oh yes, Canapala. Yeah, that's that's uh, one of the one of the most beautiful campuses around, isn't it? It's small, but it's oh, beautiful. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Initially, I went to community college, but mm-hmm. I quickly got turned off by the secularism and lack of any kind of religion in right. the classes that I was attending. Right. Um, even sometimes host- hostility to religion. And so all around that time, I started discerning whether I was called to religious life or priesthood. Early on, I was kind of focused on religious life, um, because the mentality is like, I'm not worthy <laughs> to uh-huh. be a priest. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think almost every seminarian goes through that. Um, and we're not. We're not worthy. Um, that's the thing, is realizing that it's God's mercy that calls us to it, not anything that we're doing. Um, and so God kept kind of shutting doors, and then he showed me Thomas Quinn's College, and I fell in love with it, and um, went there, got my degree in liberal arts, all this, all that time. One of the nice things about Thomas Aquinas College is we would have regular vocation talks. Oh, really? All different orders, diocesan, religious, you name it. Who, who runs Thomas Aquinas College? It's a uh, lay Catholic orga- uh, organization. Okay. So, um, the founders back in... 69, um, basically decided to try to build a good Catholic college, Mm -hmm. uh, because what they were seeing in so-called Catholic colleges wasn't really Catholic. Um, So, yeah, it's lay. It's not a religious order. Right, right. And, but they, they did a really good job of making sure that we had all the opportunities to look at what we would be doing after college. And a large part of that was um, um, vocations talks from all different orders and that chance to talk with them and engage in um, that process of discernment. If we were called to a religious life, to priesthood, um, or in marriage as well. Um, And so I, I was... While I was at Thomas Aquinas College, I started um, going to Mass every day. We really have four Masses on campus, and I started um, putting parts of the Liturgy of the Hours. Um, I, I had a, a spiritual director who knew I was discerning um, whether religious life or priesthood, and he encouraged me to start putting not not all of it, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we started doing the um, evening liturgy of the hours um, with a small group of, uh, of us who were discerning that vocation. And so 
so that kept me really actively discerning throughout college. Um, and when I graduated, I was still a little bit hesitant. And so I, I had been doing a lot more research, and I knew I'd have to pay off my student loans before mm-hmm. I went on. So I kind of made this um, deal with God. It's like, okay, God, I'm going to pay off my student loans, and then I'll come back to this idea. Um, <clears throat> in the meantime, I got really involved with my parish, and I was um, I started by helping out ushering. I became a Knights of Columbus. Um, and this is back in Reading? Back in Reading, mm-hmm. Lady of Mercy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, ushering Knights of Columbus, I took over as the coordinator for the office of servers. Um, the, pre- the pastor had me organizing the parish library. Um, I started teaching children's faith formation. And um, the parochial vicar, um, Father Guillermo Ramirez, um, uh-huh. agreed to be my uh, spiritual director during that time. And we were talking one day, and he and I was coming to the realization, it's like, yeah, I, I work um, five days a week, and I'm really looking forward to the weekend because I get to be in the parish. Oh, wow. That's a good, and, that's a good, that's a good sign. That's a good sign, yeah. But I was still hesitant, and so he finally gave me the, um, the push uh, to go talk to the diocese. Because I was, saying, I was like, oh, I don't think I'm worthy, Father. It was like, look how, how bad of a person I am. Um, he told me, he was like, well, um, go apply to the diocese and see what they say. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I know, I'm in seminary. <laughs> wow. It went, everything went pretty, really smooth and, yeah, fan fast. And so, yeah. Uh, so did you pay off the student loans? Yes, I paid off the student loans. I, I took a little bit longer. Um, when I was having that conversation with them, I was like, I was, I was done paying off the student loans. And I was like, well, that, that was my kind of my last hold. <laughs> <laughs> so I never, didn't have that um, uh, as an excuse anymore. So you already had a lot of really excellent training from St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. Do you, do you know what percent of people graduate from there go go on into religious life? The last um, numbers I heard that I haven't updated in a while was uh, 14% mm-hmm. of the graduates. A very high percentage. Yeah. Wow. So so who was the vocations director at the time? Father Jovita Wata, yes. who ex- coincidentally um, had been... <clears throat> the parochial vicar at All Lady of Mercy mm-hmm. um, while I was in college. So I met him a couple of times while I was um, home visiting. Right. And uh, he didn't try to talk you out of it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> like, he was like, here's the paperwork. Let's work on this. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you had, I mean, I, I'm sure there are a number of people who one day get struck by lightning and say, I want to be a priest, and, and they, they have done no work in the parish. They have done, you were really laying the groundwork, and, and you, weren't, you weren't doing it to prove anything. You were doing it because that, that felt right to you, and, but it certainly would indicate that you might be a good candidate. Yeah, and I, at the time, I didn't really see it that way, but in retrospect, Yes. <laughs> well, and that's the good. That's the good part about it is you didn't see, you did not see it that way. You know that that you just you enjoyed it, and you you it felt like a calling to you. Like you say, you were working five days a week, and you couldn't wait for the weekend so you could be in the parish. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's yeah. That's outstanding. So okay. So at some point, um, what the, the bishop has to approve, right? Yes. Um. <clears throat> I never, I um, didn't have an individual meeting with him mm-hmm. at that early stage in the process um, that I recall. I think, <clears throat> I think the way our diocese usually does it is the um, vocations director and the um, different people that interview us in the entering process um, give him their evaluation, and um, he tr- he trusts the people he's sure. called to serve sure. in that capacity. 
Yeah, I mean, bishops have enough to do without, you know, doing all the discerning by themselves. Yeah, that's why that's why they have vocation directors and committees and et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, but at the final at the final steps um, to ordination, um, I write um, bishop a petition to orders, and that he <clears throat> then responds to with the yes or no. <clears throat> Usually by that point, the seminary has done full evaluation, and unless there's something um, the seminary doesn't know about, it's almost always a yes. So the the how long was it from the time you sort of filled out the paperwork with with uh, Father Rata uh, to you were having an assignment to go to seminary? So I began in I don't say September, and I knew I was accepted. Um, but the diocese, anyway, I, I still had to, some interviews with the seminary up until the sun, following summer. Mm-hmm. But I knew I was going to be accepted um, by the by the diocese in um, I think January. Mm-hmm. So basically, then I had those six months until seven months um, until uh, August. Right. Um, from that point while doing interviews with the seminary. I think they finally gave their go-ahead um, at the beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, it, it took about a little bit less than a year, um, but that was because I um, applied basically at the beginning of the academic year. So what were the, what were the, the, the toughest questions or the toughest questions you ask yourself during the discernment process or that others were asking you? Hmm. <clears throat> toughest questions. I guess this was the toughest question. This was the toughest question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I mean, not so much a specific question, but just getting to that um, self-knowledge. Mm-hmm. That we, you can give a a clear um, clear response to that. Am I being called? Right. I mean, because we can have people outside, and we can have God pointing us, but we need to um, come to know ourselves um, as we come to know God as well, so that we can really be completely open with God and surrendering to Him. Right. So, I and mean, that's. Maybe not always phrased as a question, but that is, I think, probably the most challenging que- question right, right. that any of us face: is Can you actually surrender to me, mm-hmm. um, coming from God? Um, and I don't know that anybody outside of um, Our Lady completely is able to do that complete surrender. Right. But it's. It's coming to that point where we can surrender um, more and more and depend upon God more and more completely. That I think is the most challenging part of, of the priestly vocation, but really it's every vocation as well. Sure. So were there other things you, you could imagine yourself doing other than being a priest? Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. I've I've got quite a few talents. Mm-hmm. God's blessed me um, with a very um, practical uh, mindset, and there's very few things I can't figure out how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, which always just reminds me how much I need to be thankful for all the gifts God has given me. Sure. Um, so I could imagine do, being able to, to do other things. But I, I don't think I could feel happy doing all those kind of things. You didn't see like a, a career path like, gee, I, I could have been playing Major League Baseball, but, or I could have been yeah, whatever. I, I could have been a great yeah, I inventor, but I chose the priesthood, but, but I was wavering back and forth. You didn't really face that kind of a dilemma. No. Yeah, I didn't face that kind of dilemma. 
Yeah, you've you've got me convinced. <laughs> <laughs> so th- th- then you go. Uh, is is St. Patrick's the automatic? How does that work? You already had a bachelor's. Well, yeah. So um, <clears throat> if for seminarians who come in straight out of uh, high school, they uh, need a college degree. Right. And when the diocese accepts them and doesn't encourage them. They need a little bit more time, so maybe go get uh, college to be themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so like Alex, um, no, Alex um, Marquez, he came in straight out of high school, so he needed a college to be. Mm-hmm. The default then is generally all, um, Mount Angel up in Oregon. Right. But if you come in with, with a college degree, then you'd have to ask Bishop the exact process for determining that. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes he'll send us to St. Pat's and sometimes to Mount Angel. Okay. Did you ever spend any time at Mount Angel? No, it's on my bucket list. Uh, somebody the said they have a great <laughs> Oktoberfest up there. Well, I'll have to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, a yeah, beautiful part of the world, that's for sure. Um, yeah. The uh, for those that don't know, Mount Angel is uh, uh, just a little bit off of I five, kind of up near Salem, uh, maybe fifty, sixty, seventy miles south of Portland, and just in beautiful, beautiful uh, country. So you, you go to you go to St. Patrick's in Menlo Park, and what's the what's the you know what's the, what's laid out in front of you as you you begin at St. Patrick's. What do you mean laid out? Well, I mean, what, what, I mean, how many, how many years, and and what sort oh. of coursework and and other things do you do as as now as as you're at St. Patrick's? So, so generally, if you come in with a college degree, you do two years of pre theology. Um, that's primarily philosophy, and mm-hmm. it's there to give us a foundation, um, and so we're able to reason and then build on that. Uh, philosophy and in four years of theology. Mm-hmm. Um, in our diocese, we also have a pastoral year. Um, so, <clears throat> what's in front of us then is we go in, we do two years of philosophy. We're back in the diocese during the summers. Right. Um, then we transition to theology. We do two more years of theology followed by then a pastoral year in which we are in a parish in the diocese for basically the full year, um, mm-hmm. and we're doing what we can. Um, we're not clergy yet, but that really gives us a chance to integrate into a pastoral li- uh, parish life mm-hmm. um, and work on uh, pastoral experiences. And then we go back, uh, to the seminary for another two years of okay. theology, um, after which graduation. So you're talking about what seven years? Uh, yeah. with, if you have a college degree. If you have a college degree, yes. Right, right. Did that seem daunting at the start, or did that seem something you're going, "Wow, I get to I get to be in this uh, in this great learning environment and learn all about uh, theology and philosophy, etc." for seven years. That long at once sounds a little bit daunting, mm-hmm. um, but I, I do enjoy studying. Uh, so it wasn't so much the course load so long, as so much as doing that consistently for seven years, um, mm-hmm. which felt a little bit daunting. Well, you know, people people go off to college, and if they go all the way and get a PhD or an MD or a law degree or vet school or professional oh, yeah. degree uh phd um they're they're looking at seven or eight years or, or more yes and uh you're 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 all that wrapped into one you're 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 the whole ball game you know your, your goal is to get people to heaven yeah wow so what's it what's it like at saint patrick's what's it like in seminary St. Patrick's, um, down in Menlo Park, when I drove down there, I was like, what am I getting myself into? I'm uh-huh. a country boy, and I'm, I'm right here in the middle of a big city. Yeah. But 
surprisingly, as I drive in, it's, I think it's about 40 acres. Mm-hmm. It's this somewhat secluded campus um, behind kind of a wall of trees all around it right. in the middle of the city. Right. A um, little bit like uh, Christ the King? Yes, yes, a lot like that. Mm-hmm. And so uh, after that initial surprise, like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to be stuck in the... <laughs> Stuck, stuck next to a road for seven yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we we had orientation and we got to start a sense of what uh, community life would be. Where we begin the day with um, the morning office, mm-hmm. and then we'll have a couple of classes. We'll have um, midday mass. And then lunch, followed by either free time or some more classes. And then in the evening, uh, we um, have um, evening prayer mm-hmm. in the community again. And that's kind of the flow of, of daily life. Weekends, mm-hmm. um, we would go out in, into uh, parishes um, or field ed assignments on um either Saturday or Sunday, and um, the other day we would have for studies, papers, and such. Mm-hmm. So a, a, a rigorous cur- curriculum, but something that was enjoyable for you. Yes, yeah. It's like it's like going to college, only we have a whole bunch of additional prayer as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So... Yeah, I've I've heard it's just a beautiful campus, um, and and, and a really a, a nice area of the world um, where everybody else is. is those are there's a lot of expensive housing in that area too, in there. It's, oh yeah, yeah. It's so the uh, did they test your basketball skills when you're in seminary? <laughs> um, when you're foolish enough to say yes to the uh, <laughs> priest and seminary basketball game, yes. <laughs> Uh, yep. <laughs> I I remember it used to be priests against the seminarians, and now they just kind of mix them all. Uh, we don't, yeah, we don't have enough seminarians anymore. Right, I know, <laughs> I know. And even 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 like my first year, it was like not all the seminarians played, but we had I think eleven seminarians, and we had like forty or something priests. Right. And so it was like we had almost no breaks. The priests were constant rotation or break. Oh, they were. I know. And the, the seminarians were getting gassed. Yeah. So I think, and I think it's, I, personally, I think it's better this way to mix it up. It's just, it, it, it's a fun game. Right. Like, we're not there to put on the, the best basketball game ever. We're there just to get together, enjoy community, show people that, yes, um, Priests and seminarians do things other than study and say mass. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and just, I mean, just have a good time. Yeah, uh, you know, now that the Kings have lost, you're the only game in town. <laughs> <laughs> you, so I, I should remind people the uh, the annual priest seminarians basketball game will take place on Tuesday, June the twentieth. So just around the corner next month. Uh, it's always at Christian Brothers High School. Uh, game time is 7 p.m., but the doors open at 6 p.m., and it's always just packed. And it, you, you can tell a certain priests or seminarians have a have a following more than family. You know, maybe the parish, oh, yeah. and, and it's it's hysterical. It's really, and and then it ends with usually uh, uh, the bishop is there. Sometimes both uh, Bishop Soto and Bishop Wiegand are there. And all the seminarians and all the priests, and they link arms and they sing Salve Regina, and there's not a dry eye in the house. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful beautiful moment. Um, um, yeah, I, I highly recommend anybody who uh, has not been to that basketball game to to take it in. It's a lot of fun. There's concessions there. You can have dinner there. You can have a hot dog or nachos or something. Um, it's it's just a real real fun evening, and some of these. Some of these priests and seminarians are pretty darn good ball players. Yeah. So come to your um, local pastor or seminarian on. Right. While having a good time. All having a good time. 
And then, of course, well, while we're on that, uh, the annual vocations dinner uh, is is that that Saturday, the twenty fourth of June, and that's going to be at St. Paul's Parish on uh, Florin Road in Sacramento. They move that around every year. They've had it up in Placerville and down in Vacaville and Roseville and uh, West Sacramento. They've had it all over. And uh, this year, uh, St. Paul's, the beautiful parish on Florin Road in Sacramento. Um, you can call George Bagley to get a ticket for that, 707-372-4913. So in the summers, you would come back uh, every summer? Yeah, um, unless, um, with uh, one exception, um, when we are sent down to Mexico mm-hmm. uh, for Spanish immersion. Right. Um, Every other summer, we're back in the diocese, either doing um, being at a parish, helping at um, Catholic charities, one of the different um, organizations in the diocese, or um, uh, we also do CPE, uh, that's uh, clinical pastoral education, Mm -hmm. chaplaincy in the hospital. Yes. So when you get sent to Mexico for for Spanish immersion, is it is it a foreign language school or is it just that the fact that you're in Mexico and you're forced to speak the language? Well, I think the being forced being in Mexico and forced to speak the language is a little bit better than the uh-huh. part. Yo, I think but, yeah, I think you're um, right. It start, the whole program starts um, where we we are in Seminario Hispano mm-hmm. in Mexico City, um, and we are attending classes um, at the local um, college. Um, for Spanish, right, and then at the end of it, um, we spend three to five weeks in a parish, uh-huh. and that's when we really get tested. Mm-hmm. We don't have anybody around who speaks English. We're no longer with um, the different seminarians that we were studying um, Spanish with, right? So we can only speak Spanish. Right. <laughs> There's no um, talking English over lunch. Um, yes. Yes. It's like nope, you're you're in it. You have to you have to do it. And there's no um, ordering lunch in English. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might be a pretty good diet for some people. <laughs> yeah, and some of us can use it. Yeah. So so do, do uh, are there other seminarians there in in Mexico City with you? From from I mean, from other yeah. diet from other dioceses. Yeah. Um, we had. I had a representation. I think we had um, 17 seminarians, um, a lot of them from the East Coast, actually. Uh-huh. We also um, Boston, um, New York, York uh, a couple others. Um, <clears throat> we also had the Archdiocese of San Francisco there. Uh-huh. And when I went, we, uh, there were three of us uh, from Diocese of Sacramento, uh, myself, Father Eric Pereira uh-huh. and Father Ryan Mahar. Right. So th- that's not a requirement of St. Patrick's. That's a requirement of the Diocese of Sacramento that you go to. to yeah. To, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, precisely, yeah. Uh, we, I mean, we live in a diocese that most of the uh, parishes we need to be bilingual. Yeah, yeah. almost. I, I mean, I, I, there, there may be one or two that, that don't have a, a Spanish-language mass or two or three, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not aware of them. Um, maybe some of the little mission churches don't. But uh, uh, for the most part, uh, there's it's everywhere, which is wonderful. Yes. Yeah. And 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 with, uh, and I know it's probably not a requirement, but we have uh, we have mass in uh, I think uh, six or seven languages here in the diocese, something like that. So. Yeah, um, I'd have to think to count them all, but. We do have quite a few. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think I read the Archdiocese of Los Angeles has mass in like thirty-eight languages, something like that. It's phenomenal. Wow. <laughs> yeah, just just phenomenal. So we've only got a couple minutes, but uh, family, uh, are you going to have have a, 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 a cathedral doesn't have a cheering section uh, that will save that for the basketball game? But you going to have family <laughs> and friends and et cetera on, on June the third at the cathedral. Yeah, um, I think most of my immediate family is going to be able to be there, um, and I, kn- I know I'll have quite a few friends, um, especially people who have supported us seminarians throughout this time, and we've come to develop 
friendships with those people who've been praying for us throughout all these years of formation. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing all those people um, join, join us for um, And then when, when do you celebrate your first Mass? Uh, the next day. The next day. I'll be, yeah, driving up to Our Lady of Mercy in Reading um, and celebrating my thanks, Mass of Thanksgiving um, at uh, uh, 11. At, at your home parish? Yeah, my home parish, Our Lady of Mercy. Wow, and wh- where were you? Where will you be after that? Um, doing a few more masses of Thanksgiving. I'm gonna go back to my pastoral parish, St. Charles Borromeo, okay. and celebrate a mass the following weekend um, at uh, 10:30 on the following Sunday. Um, and then uh, on July 1st, going to wherever Bishop is assigning me. So that hasn't that ha- that assignment hasn't happened yet. That assignment hasn't happened. Well, I, I, well it'll happen he, before I July. Bishop knows, mm-hmm. um, but he hasn't told me yet. Right. He announces. I mean, they, the the assignment actually begins on July one, right? Yeah. 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 Boy, boy, what a what a task that must be for a bishop to with uh, over a hundred parishes and and trying to figure out who fits where and you yeah. know what will be best for the parish and what will also be a, a good fit for the priest and wow. Yeah. That's yeah. It's quite a chore. But yeah, uh, yeah. That's well, he has a uh, board to help him determine that as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, Deacon Eric uh, Patrick, we're just thrilled for you. Thanks for uh, all you do, all you've done, and uh, all we know that you're going to do in this great diocese of Sacramento. And uh, you're an inspiration to all of us. Thank you. Hey, Thank you, everybody who's listening, for your prayers. We, sh- we sure will. Please keep praying for vocations and pray for the other seminarians as they continue to discern their vocation. Very well said. We most definitely will. God bless, and we'll we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. God bless you too. Thanks so much. That's uh, Deacon Eric Patrick, soon to be Father Eric Patrick, on June the third a 10 a.m. Mass at the Cathedral of the Blessed Sacrament in downtown Sacramento. Uh, That's going to do it for us for today. Thanks for listening. God bless everyone. To the cross I look And to the cross I cling Of its suffering I do drink Of its work I do on it must save you both bruised and crushed showing that God is love and God is just at the cross you beckon me
Lost in love. 